0: Oh, man, it is good to be with you this morning. My name is Josh. If you're a guest, welcome. I'm one of the ministers here, and it is just a privilege to be together. And for all of you joining us online this morning, welcome. Could you all just sort of join me in welcoming our church family that's still joining us online this morning? Just let them know that we're glad that they're with us. Today, gang, we are going to dive in to one of the most famous stories, not only in Scripture, but of all time. But before we get into the next part of our series, how we got here, I need to talk a little bit about this this crazy week we have just lived through. And I know for some of us in this room, you just are kind of going, I need a nap. Others are going, I need to wake up in 2021. Now here's the thing, I need to just talk with you for a moment here because the reality is in this room and online, uh, there's a lot of different feelings going on. If you voted for Senator Biden, then chances are your vote and and, and he's going to be the next president, most likely. If you voted for President Trump, then, you know, he's most likely not going to be the next president for the next four years. And so wherever you find yourselves this morning, whether you're just kind of excited and happy, you feel good about things, or maybe you're really concerned with where we're going and what's going to happen, I need to speak to both groups this morning with the same thing that we said last week, okay? If you voted for Senator Biden, I need to remind you that your hope is not in a human. It's not in a man. Amen? If you voted for President Trump, I need to remind you what we said last week, that your hope is not in a human. It's not in a man. Can I get another amen? Our hope is in Jesus Christ, church. The song we just sang, you are faithful, Scars, struggles, whatever happens, Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is the master of the universe. Listen, I was taught growing up because of that great 80s cartoon that He-Man was the master of the universe, but I'm here to tell you and remind you that it is Jesus Christ who is the master of the universe. He is sovereign over all things. So whether you're rejoicing or mourning, excited or fearful, Jesus is the hope of the church and Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen? So I just want to remind you of that, family, that we serve the winner, the king, the glorious one, and our role is simply to walk with him day by day, for he has tasted of death and he has beaten it, and we're just counting down the moments until he ushers us all into eternal glory. So that's our hope this morning. I want us to pray together. I think we need to do that before we dive into the text. Can we do that? I want to invite you to go ahead, just kind of center yourself. Maybe you want to put both feet on the ground if that helps you. I don't know, but just kind of get comfortable. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Maybe bow your head if you need to. Take a deep breath. And as those words in Genesis chapter 1 that the Lord breathed. And this pile of dust became a living being. Receive the breath of God this morning and recognize that you have life because God is alive and good. Holy Father, this morning we lift up every heart, every home. Every city, every state, every person in this nation, we lift up our leaders and we simply say to you, we confess as one church with varying opinions and perspectives, the one thing we all agree on and the only thing we cling to as our hope is that Jesus Christ is King. And we celebrate that you are here in this place this morning. You are not a far off God, but you are near You are close. And so we invite you into this time. We invite you into this moment. Lord, I pray that you would enter each heart, that you would soften the storms, that you would settle the spirits, and that this morning we would meet you in this text, although ancient. It is so very relevant for this morning. We thank you that our hope is in Jesus and no matter what happens in this life, he will see us through. We praise you, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus and all those who agree, said, amen, amen. Grab your Bibles, dive with me back to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 6 is where we'll be in a moment. Now, I know if you're new to church or new to the scripture, I'm going to help you out. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. What do you do to get there? You open your Bible, go like four pages past the table of content, Genesis, You're welcome. That's where we're going to begin here in just a moment. But before we do, we're going to dive into this ancient but very famous story. In fact, chances are, even if you have no exposure to church or the Bible, you know this story. So real quick, I'm going to ask you, turn to your neighbor. And if you're online, I want you to text your answer in the chat. But turn to your neighbors, and I want you to share with them all the things you can think of about Noah. Are you ready? Go ahead, turn to someone, share the details of that story with someone else. One person said that Noah had faith. Anyone else mention faith in the story, maybe? Uh, someone else wrote, Noah had an ark. Anyone else in here say, Noah have an ark? Who built the ark? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so theres a, there's an arc in the story. What else uh, did you mention let's see. Did any of you mention animals in your story? Yeah, yeah, Noah had animals. How many of you mentioned two by two? Anyone? How many of you mentioned a dove? Anyone mention a dove or a rainbow? Yeah? Chances are, no matter what details you mentioned, if you're like most kids, you knew some of these details, and if you went to church as a little one, most likely you colored in a picture very similar to this one right here. I love this picture, don't you? couple of cuddly little lambs. I like the elephants up here, although I have no idea how they got on the boat on that two by ten there got a couple of giraffes it's great it's great Now, one thing that bugged me all week Noah something's wrong with his right foot I don't know if you can see it but it looks like he has like seven toes now he needs to get that looked at now these pictures are great but you knew you hit the jackpot if you had a rainbow in your story because then that meant that you could use all of the colors of your crayon box and I love this picture this is an excellent excellent picture You've got a dolphin, who, by the way, is wearing makeup, evidently, which I think is just great. Uh, two fish, yeah, there's two fish, I love it. You've got one elephant, I don't know where his little buddy is, but he's happy, yeah. although the lion looks kind of happy, so maybe that's where the other buddy elephant went, I don't know. you got the dove up there and a rainbow. Now, does it look like, to anyone else, like the giraffe is eating the rabbit's ear? Does that... I just like taking a little nibble, and then the dog, of course, looks seasick right there. It's a great picture. And these are the kinds of pictures that we as kids would draw. In fact, is these are the kinds of pictures that chances are you would show or have your kids draw. And it's fun because there were all these details, but I want to tell you this morning that Noah's Ark and the story is not a kid-friendly story. There's a lot of stuff in there that we don't tend to share with our kids. And I think it's probably okay, but here's the deal. There is a lot about it. In fact, it is a snapshot. It is a picture of how we got to where we are. Why are we where we are? Why is the world this just chaotic mess so often? Why does it seem that there is no solid footing, solid ground on which to stand? Why is it that it seems like just as you you feel control, it, it, it slips from your grasp, or maybe in a relationship, or in finances, Or for some of you this morning in politics, or with your kids, or your health, what is it about this world? This story is a picture, it shows us how we got where we are, and all I want to do this morning is zero in on one image of the story, because I think it shows us the whole picture of the story, and it's one word, the rainbow, the rainbow, the rainbow, there's two parts to this little word, you have rain, And you have the bow, the rain, bow. Each piece tells a part of the story. If you're taking notes, the rain reminds us of thus one simple fact, that our choices have consequences. Our choices have consequences. Church, this is going to be one of those, I hope, very practical messages this morning. I need to remind you that our choices have good or bad consequences, but there are no choices that you and I can make that are consequence-free. Our choices have consequences. This is where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 6. But wait, let's kind of rewind the tape, get a running start. When last we were in the text, we found ourselves in Genesis chapter 4. Now that is the story of a man named Cain who got jealous of his brother Abel and so he kills his brother. And then Cain becomes this wandering man, ends up alone, but he, he ends up having kids and the Half he took away from God continues to separate further and further every generation until at the end of Genesis chapter 4, you have this story of Lamech, who is this brutal, violent man, the descendant of Cain, who sings a song of violence and affliction of pain over other people. And you see this slow falling and chaos coming. But then there's this note of hope in Genesis chapter 4 when Adam and Eve have a second or a third son, rather, to take the place of the death of Abel, their third son. His name is Seth. In chapter 5, we're told Seth's line, they begin to follow God, and it lists some of the descendants of Seth. Now, go ahead and put that up. Here's what you notice. Very first thing in Genesis 5, when you see all the genealogy, when you see the different descendants, what is it that you notice the Most. Everybody's old. Everybody lives like forever. Now I know some of us, some of us, if you're kicking the tires of of faith in particular, you look at this and you go, really? I mean, mean, did they have like some amazing cardio exercise that they were working and that's what gave them a long life? Was it that they had pure genes and that's why they lived long? Is it, is it, and some of us, you even go so far as to say, I don't think that's even possible. I, is that possible? Well, I'm not going to answer that question right now. If you want the answer to that question and so many of the other ones that have been raised during this series, we're going to call a time out, not tomorrow night, but a week from tomorrow night on November the 16th. We will host a live Q and A, we're going to have a panel of people sharing answers to so many of the questions we've already received, and many more from Genesis 1 through 11. But if you have a question, you can let us know about that. Just send an email to the office. Or office at clearcreekcoc.org. Office at clearcreekcoc.org. Or just catch me after service. I'll jot it down. But we want to answer the questions. This will be one of them. Now, as important or obvious as this may be, here's the thing that I want you to see. This seems very important. This seems very big. But do you notice the detail that I believe is probably more important? It says of each of these, and then he died. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Enosh, 905, and then he died. Kenan, 910, died. Mahalalel, died. Jared, died. Methuselah, the great grandpappy, longest liver of them all, died. Lamech, died. You see a repeating pattern. In other words, even, even, hear me now, even in a world where people seem to live so long, everyone eventually dies it doesn't matter the amount of cardio you do clean eating you do the curse of sin touches us all there is a consequence to all of our choices and beginning out you see that even those who follow god we will Die because of the consequence of the world's sin and our personal sin. And the world continues to devolve. It gets worse and worse until we come to chapter 6 and verse 5 when everything is going to be broken apart and wiped clean. When God says these words, The Lord saw, notice that phrase, we'll come back to it, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. People woke up thinking, what can I do wrong today? Who can I lie to? Who can I cheat? Who can I swindle? Who can I rob? Who can I abuse? What can I take? By the way, does this in any way make you think of places and moments in our current culture? That seems so bent on doing the wrong thing all the time. Maybe even for good reasons, people say, but it's the wrong thing. It's breaking apart. Now notice this phrase up top. You'll see it repeated throughout these chapters. It says, the Lord saw, the Lord saw, the Lord saw. It's an echo. Where have we heard the Lord saw? Genesis 1, when God is creating everything, it says the Lord saw what he was creating was good, but now we see the reverse of it. God saw it is not good, it is wickedness, it's broken. You're seeing the unraveling of creation begin, and God's heart is broken. Verse 6 says it this way, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Does this mean that God didn't know what was going to happen? No, 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 God knew. But does this mean he made a mistake? No, no. God knew, and God didn't make a mistake. Then then what does this mean? This is ancient Hebrew language trying to help us understand an infinite God and the depth of his hurt. It is figurative language to help us understand it. And because of this, verse 7 goes on to say, The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. He says, i got to start over. It's too much, it's too great. Starting over. And then verse 12. God saw, there it is again, all the people on earth had corrupted their way. So God said to Noah, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Things continue to get worse. Now, there's a little play on words here in the original Hebrew, and I'll tell you what it is. The word there, destroy, is the exact same word as the word corrupt, same Hebrew word. In other words, the writer is saying something very profound, that the people, yes, corrupted, but the result is destruction. They were self-destroying, self-destructing. And so God is literally saying this phrase, he is saying, I'm going to destroy the self-destroyed. That the consequence of our sin, we lead to death. How many of us know the consequence of walking away from the one in whom life is found is going to always be death? That if you leave the source of life, how can you have anything but death? And so we are destroying ourselves and God just says, that's it. I'm going to help you finish the task. Parents, it's like that moment when your kids start a fight with each other and you step in and say, I don't know who started it, but I'm going to finish it. That's what's happening here. And so it's all coming to an end until there's this one little phrase, notice, Next slide. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There is hope. There's something going on. Although there are consequences to our choices that what we do matters, what is good, what is bad, there are consequences. There's something else at play here. Now, Noah, let's talk about him for a moment. He was a righteous man. The next verse will tell us, meaning he is all right in God's sight. That's what, that's what uh, righteousness means, to be all right in God's sight. But does that mean he was perfect? No. Just read the rest of chapter 9, you'll see that he was anything but perfect, but by comparison of his world's culture, he lived rightly with God and he trusted God. He was a God's kind of man. So God comes up to Noah and says, Noah, it's gone too far, I'm going to have to do something about it, and you're going to have to build a boat, son. Now, if you take the literal measurements, if this is to be understood literally, then this boat would have been about the size of an ocean-going barge. I mean, just huge, uh, just just Massive. Now, God gives him details and, and sort of helps him work through it. And then in verse 19, he's commanded to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female. Remember that, we'll come back to it, to keep them alive with you. So this is the part where all the animals come and God's telling him, get this kind and that kind, and he brings the animals onto the ark. And then we're told this wonderful phrase that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Quick side note, family. Your choices have consequences, bad or good. Think about the consequences of this statement. Because Noah did what God called him to do. His children lived. His children made it through. Family, some of you, some of you parents right now, because you are obeying and you're doing the right thing, you're sticking with your marriage when it's hard. You are loving each other when it is difficult. You are stepping into tough places with your neighbors. You're having hard conversations with your kids because you are obeying and doing what God has called you to do. Consequently, there are good consequences for your children. You are creating generational benefits because of your choices. But the opposite's true as well, isn't it? What we do matters. Noah did all that God commanded him, and God blessed him. He saved Noah, his wife, and their sons. Good choices, good consequences. But let's get back to the rain. So then, Noah's done everything, and we're told this. Seven days from now, God says to Noah, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. That phrase, you'll see it repeated through Scripture. It is both a literal duration of time It is also a metaphor or a symbol for a season, something that's happening. I will do this for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And notice this, and after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. You can almost begin to hear it, can't you? It begins, and we're told these words, On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Hear me now. There's a rupture in the great deep. Water, verse 4, there's rain coming down. This is the opposite of what happens in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, there's chaos. The waters cover the earth, but God begins to separate things. Waters below to waters above, there's space between. But because of what we have done... The world is collapsing into chaos. The waters are coming together. Things are being undone. Hear me now. Creation. Go to the next slide. Creation is returning to chaos. This is where we came from and our choices lead us back to it. In verse 21, every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth. And all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. The rain reminds us that our choices have consequences. What happened is a result of our choice. When you walk away from the source of life, all that is left is chaos and death. Church, hear me. What we see in our world and what many of us see in our homes are the consequences of walking away from what God says is right, pure, and good. This is the devolving of creation, and all of it has been affected by it. Our choices have consequences. What you do privately has public consequences. Men, listen to me. What you do online privately will have public consequences. What you do, friends, doesn't matter if people know about it or not, it will have consequences. The story of Noah is continually played out, and we see the ripple effect of sin occurring over and over and over again, and God's judgment and God's justice must deal with it. Hear me now. You say, why would God kill everyone? Why can't he just forgive? Listen to this. There are some, listen, if there is no God to deal with the sins of the world, then that means there is no true justice. There are some crimes that will never be found out, that will never be prosecuted, that will never be dealt with. If there is no God and if he is not just, then that means that some murderers will go free. That means some who abuse children will go free. There is a judgment and justice of God and this is the consequence of our choices. That's the rain. But that's not it, is it? See, there's another part to this. See, although our choices have consequences, the bow represents that God is not done yet. The story does not end with the flooding, the end, go home, but rather it ends with some people in a boat going, what's next? Where do we go from here? And I know some of us this morning are asking that very question because of where you are personally or where we are culturally or globally. And you go, where do we go next? Here's what I want you to hear. Yes, our choices have consequences. But the good news that we see in this story is that God is not done yet. What you have done is not greater than the grace of Jesus Christ. God is not done yet. I want to show you a few things here and we'll call it a day. Are you ready? First thing I want you to see is simply this, that Noah survived. This passage, look at what it says, only Noah was left and, and, notice this, stay on this slide, those with him in the ark, who was with him in the ark? Well, his wife, his sons, their daughters, by the way, or or not their daughters, sons and their wives, rather. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to make babies. This is not the end of the human race, is it? Why? Because although God deals with sin, God is not done yet, but it's not just man and woman. Notice who else is on the boat. All the animals, right? You remember this phrase, two of all living creatures, you bring them on, male and female. What do you think those male and female animals are going to make? Little babies. We're going to have puppy dogs and kitty cats maybe and we'll have elephants and giraffe can you imagine Noah as he's building this boat and he's thinking you're you're telling me you're going to destroy all this don't worry I'm bringing animals why God because I'm not done yet on the other side of the storm is life because I'm not done yet in fact notice God is not apart from Noah many of you this morning need to hear this more than anything else that your God is not distant but notice this phrase then the Lord shut Noah in the ark when all the rain began to fall when life began to come apart the storm began to rage God himself supernaturally closed the ark God on the eve of destruction said I'm going to close him in I'm going to stand between you, Noah, and the judgment and destruction. You need to know that God, in his grace through Jesus Christ, wants to stand between you and the destruction. And if you are in Christ, then you have been forgiven of sins, and God separates you and keeps you from the ultimate destruction. Now notice, it doesn't remove Noah from the storm, does it? He's going to go through it, and he loses a lot. The sin of his community affects him. If Noah had a home, well, it's now gone. If Noah had a farm, well, it's gone. If Noah had neighbors and friends who would get together and play bingo or board games or cards, they're gone. But God's not done yet. He says, I want to protect you. Hear me now, friends. You need to know that God wants to stand between you and the ultimate judgment. The promise of this story is not that God will take you out of the storm, but that God will be with you in the storm, that he is there and he is present. Maybe I should put it this way, God is here and he is present wherever you are, whatever your storm. There's one more little detail. All this comes to fruition. The waters begin to subside. The boat comes to rest. They come out. And then God, as there's this new moment, this new world, this, this thing that's about to happen, God says, Noah, you don't need to be afraid of what you just saw happening ever again. He says, rather, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Okay, what do we know about rainbows, friends? Rainbows, rainbows. How do we make a rainbow? Without Skittles, mind you. How do we do it? Well, a rainbow is simply light being refracted through, in this case, water droplets that it comes through and it scatters the different colors of the singular light through the droplets. In other words, to see the rainbow, you have to have the rain. Isn't it interesting that the symbol, by the way, a sign is merely a symbol, and the word covenant refers to the promise of God with us, that God's promise, the symbol or sign of God's promise is this rainbow. Isn't it interesting? The only time you see a rainbow in nature is with the backdrop of a dark storm. The grace of God is seen most clearly in the darkest times, isn't it? Sometimes you'll hear people talk about how there seems to be this gap between what we do wrong and consequences, and it's like, was God asleep? No, God is not asleep, but between my sin and his judgment is this thing called grace to woo us back to him, and there will come a moment where God says, I want you to come home, turn around, but if we don't, there will come a point of judgment, but he's promising in this moment, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm still at work. In fact, in fact, the Hebrew word for rainbow is not even rainbow. Did you know that? That's what it's describing. That's why this is the translation, but do you know what the actual Hebrew word is right there, what it actually means? The Hebrew word means warbow. A warbow, warbow. It's what a warrior uses to fire arrows and take down the enemy that which God had been firing upon the earth, he is now literally saying, I am taking and putting up my war bow. I'm not going to fire on the earth anymore. You say, well, okay. But, but, but if he's not going to fire on us, how does he deal with our sin? Because here's the reality. You realize Noah went into the ark, animals went in the ark, but something else went into the ark with them sin. No, it wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. What is God going to do with our sin now? If he's putting up his war bow, if he's all done, does that mean you can get away with anything? No, God is now. God is now. Even in this symbol telling us how he will deal with sin. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor from over a century ago, noted this when he said these words, it is a bow still. It's still an Instrument of destruction. Vengeance is there. Justice is there. But which way is it pointing? I remember when I was 10 years old and I got my first and only bow and arrow set, only because I was a little clumsy with it. But how does it work? First rule you put the arrow in and you pull back and you fire. Now, the rule in our house was you can have fun, just don't shoot it at any living thing. Don't shoot it at your sisters, Joshua. Which aim, which direction is the one that you fire from? What's the curved side, correct? Notice where the firing direction is of a rainbow. Even now, there is this moment where God is showing through this sign that the punishment The consequence for my sin, for your sin, is not that we all just get a skate, but there is another who will now be fired upon, another one who will be shot, who will be, see if this sounds familiar from Isaiah 53, who will be pierced for our iniquity, crushed for our sin. You want to know where our sin is being dealt with? You want to know where the judgment of God is now falling? God's judgment now points to Jesus. Everything now goes to him on the cross. This is not God winking at sin, but now in this sign he says, I'm not going to take it out here, but if you will trust in me, I will fire upon myself. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ is pierced in the wrists and in the feet. He is pierced in the side, in the head. He is shot through with the consequence of my sin and yours. This is a picture of the gospel. That you and I, without God, are lost to chaos and death. But thanks be to God, he has put up his instrument of wrath and said, I will take it on myself. Will you simply take me on as your savior? This story is that there are consequences to what we do, but God is not done yet. Friend, he's not done with you. Whatever you've done, he is not done with you. If you choose to turn to him, he is not done with you. Friends, God is not done with your neighborhood. He loves the people in your neighborhood. He is not done with our city, our state, our nation, our world. Ours is a God who is not done yet. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Well, the Apostle Paul summarized the beauty of this moment centuries later when he penned the words in Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. There is now no Condemnation for those who are in, does this sound familiar, the ark in, this symbol of safety in, those who are in, not a wooden box, but those who are in Christ Jesus. How did we get here? Why is the world a mess? Why is there chaos? It's because we choose wrong. So what do we do about it? We trust Jesus. We step into the care and protection of him over us because God is not done yet.